0: So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself, um, going to ask a question what is sp- spiritual re- receptivity, what, what are we being receptive to um, and then how to be receptive, the <coughs> main sort of things I want to talk about in, in my talk. Um, I gave a talk here a few weeks ago and uh, mentioned um, in that talk uh, an experience I had when I was a child, in seven or eight, where I just to keep it short, and I know quite a few of you were there, um, I had a sort of a sense of the complete incomprehensibility of life, that uh, life was totally incomprehensible. And um, I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. I felt um, it was so incomprehensible you couldn't even discuss it. It was beyond reason um, and so on and I think this experience left me with um, a a tremendous sense of of a hole in me that's with an H not a W hole like a black hole Um, and I went through, I'm I'm 63 now and I became a um, a Buddhist in 1972 when I was 23, became an order member two years later when I was um, 25 and. I think for uh, so I've been ordained almost um, thirty eight years and uh, um and I think probably for something like twenty five of those years and even and including in my childhood before I was a Buddhist, I had an experience of um feeling empty like an inner emptiness, and uh, I know this is an experience that not that isn't that is um, not uncommon, that you know, people have the same sort of experience. Not everyone, but um, it's, um, you know, quite a few people do, I think, have a sense, um, when they sit still, when they're on their own, when they get in touch with yourself deeply, a feeling that there's something missing, a sort of an emptiness. And it's quite um, um, pain- very, very painful and uh, frightening, really. It's like a black hole exists in your being. And many of us go around trying to fill that hole with all sorts of experiences. Um, so, you know, if we could just take in, have enough of life's experiences, we can fill up that hole and everything will be all right. And that sort of works up to a point. Um, I guess I was by nature um, a romantic so love was something I focused on you know if I um, fell in love and had a relationship with people it, um, it was as though I could um, fill up this hole with love but actually it was just a distraction from really coming to, to terms with it and it made me very restless um, I, I found that going on solitary retreats became a, um, a good idea but nothing not nothing I look forward to um, i um I never did the prerequisite number of solitary retreats um, <coughs> as I probably should have done um, what my teacher suggested us doing but uh, I did go on solitary retreats and um always something happened on those solitary solitary retreats, but about um twelve. 15 years ago, this sense of, I, I remember this realising, maybe a little bit less than that actually, 10 years ago, I remember thinking, I don't feel this hole anymore. It, it wasn't like, you know, one day I woke up and there wasn't a hole there, but it was just like, oh, I didn't function like that anymore, it wasn't like there was a, anything missing. Well, it's not that I felt completely full, but it, 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 it just wasn't bothering me, there was sort of, um, you know, I just felt it wasn't a problem. Which was really strange because it had dominated my my experience of life for so many years, and i 'm um, not really sure what happened. It's as though something um, not from outside of me but inside of me sort of filled up and uh, and I felt whole. perhaps I was more integrated. integration in a way is a form of wholeness that 's with a w um, and um, you know where, where you, you 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 can take responsibility for what you're doing and so forth so um, I just wanted to share that with you in a way because um, it's by practicing the spiritual life that my life has so radically changed um, it's changed both externally and particularly internally um, I don't think I'd have had such a rich and um, exciting and full life um if i'd never if i hadn't been a buddhist and um it was a bit like the navy in my case i joined the the order and saw the world <laughs> um, so it's been you know it's been a really fascinating journey and um really yeah very very wonderful and exciting and recommend it to everyone but receptivity, spiritual receptivity, I have to admit this, up until the beginning of the week, I thought I was going to be giving a talk on spiritual death. <laughs> and uh, I was telling Rat Laguna, he said, Oh, that's funny, I'm thinking I'm giving one as well. <laughs> so I checked with, with my boss, and she told me that actually it's spiritual receptivity. So I thought, Oh, I better have a few thoughts about that. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually have been thinking about it quite a lot over the last few months. Um, and I've been of in a way totally fascinated by it. Um, I always like to ask myself questions um, so the question is well what is it I'm supposed to be receptive to? So that poses a really enormous problem doesn't it? Because um, if you're receptive to something it's as though there's something out there that you're going to open up to and receive and if you go down that route you might end up with um, G-O-D um, because, you know, <laughs> that's where you usually end up, isn't it? If, if there's something out there if, there, if you're opening up to the sort of, as it were, the grace of something then it's very easy to start thinking in terms of um, a creator god or a god figure. So, um, in the West, this is quite problematic for us because um, you know many of us are probably here, either because we've rejected Christianity probably or some other religion, and um, we feel you know we're not going to go there we're not going to go towards God and open up towards God because you know God doesn't exist but um, it might be and I just say this sort of very loosely, it might be that one throws the baby out with the bathwater now I'm not suggesting here I'm not being. Um, a heretic by any means. I am in. Actually, I'm being a heretic against the Christian faith, but I'm not suggesting that there is a creator God. Um, I certainly don't believe that. But um, I certainly wouldn't dismiss the view that there isn't something, as it were, some mysterious thing that has an effect on me. If I rejected it totally and fully. I don't think I could call myself a Buddhist. First of all, I'd have a fixed view. My view would be, there definitely isn't anything like God. That's a fixed view. If I've got a fixed view, I've got a fixed ego, because it's the ego that's stuck with this view. And if I'm not prepared to change it, I'm stuffed, basically. You know, I'm not going to really change. I'm just going to be stuck with me and my ego. And anyway, why should I be so fixed and attached to my views? so it's very difficult talking about a something that you absolutely cannot talk about by definition <laughs> and the Buddha said that enlightenment was an in, incomparable you can't compare it to anything and therefore in a sense you can't know it you can't know it at least you can't know it rationally you can't compare it to to something else you can't say it's like god or it isn't like god you can't say Um, really what it is and by extension it also means you can't know the Buddha if you can't know what enlightenment is you cannot know what an enlightened being is you might say if someone asked you what is the Buddha you say it's an enlightened being but that doesn't really say anything someone says what is enlightenment you would probably reel off you know some some phrases and try to explain and uh, um, if you do teaching, if you teach the Dharma, what you gradually find is that the more you talk about these things, the more you realise you have no idea, no idea what you're talking about. Um, it's as though, you know, the very things you're talking about, you sort of think, doesn't completely add up, actually, what I'm saying. And um, so it, it all becomes a bit of a mystery, which was one of the um, things I was talking about in the talk I gave a few weeks ago. But you can be aware of, you can open yourself up, so to speak, to um, what in Buddhism we call the Dharma. And it's not the Dharma, is isn't necessarily the teaching of the Buddha, it's not necessarily, um, you could call it the truth, but that doesn't really say anything again, but it's just as though there is the Dharma. It's a bit like there is gravity, there is like, you know, we're alive. We have consciousness, and it's as though there is the Dharma. And I'd like to suggest that spiritual receptivity is fundamentally about opening yourself up to the Dharma. Ketu said, got his name right then, um, that um, when I ordained people, what I was able to to do was have a certain receptivity to their um, sort of going for refuge to the Buddha, um, their spiritual practice and so forth. But I would say that um, that may be true, but it's it's an awareness, I guess, of having sharing with another person the same sort of openness and the same as though one's in touch with the same thing is what you see in another person. You know, how you formulate it as someone going for refuge is a bit of a an expression of that but fundamentally what you're looking for is an awareness is that this person knows what I'm doing because they're doing it and it's beyond words really it's as though you can explain it to your mum and dad probably but when you start trying to explain it to yourself in deeper and deeper depth it starts becoming more and more mysterious and mystery is a wonderful thing and one can open up to mystery And one can have an extremely positive um, relationship with mystery. And um, I think it was, um, was it Goethe who said that, you know, when something ceases to be a mystery, you know it, and therefore you cannot venerate it. You know, when you know something, you cannot sort of really look up to it. So it's only the things that you cannot know that you can really have um, a sense of veneration for, a longing for. Because once you've you know it, you've got it. And once you've got it, you're no longer longing for it, so to speak. Receptivity is is fundamental to the life of a Buddhist. So if you want to practise Buddhism, you have to practise spiritual receptivity. Actually, you don't have to practise it because you're already doing it in one way or another. In fact, pra- the very fact you're here would suggest that you have the ability to open up to something and be affected and moved by um, whatever, let's call it the Dharma, it's just for want of a better word. And you allow the Dharma into your life, into your heart, into your mind, and it changes you. It's sort of as simple as that. It's not as though you have to really do anything other than stop doing what you do. Um, in, in, in a sense, you get in the way of your own spiritual development. I'm sure you're all very familiar with that little animal that sits on your shoulder. Nonviolent communication people call it a jackal. And it's the little voice that goes, You're no good, are you? You can't do this. See, you failed again. And uh, how many of you are familiar with a jackal? Come on, let's have a bit of honesty. <laughs> You know what's on the other shoulder? The giraffe. Big heart, big perspective. Big heart has to pump the blood up to the head and it has a big heart lots of love, passion, and it can see around broad perspective. You have the choice you can listen to the giraffe or the jackal. You're in the habit of listening to the jackal, your life is a bit of a mess. You listen to the giraffe and life becomes wonderful. You tell the jackal to take a holiday, get out of here, I'm going with a giraffe. And um, in doing so, you begin to change. If you listen to the jackal, it's sort of probably another way of putting it, it's just like the ego clinging on to what it is and just stopping you from becoming something more. If you listen to the giraffe, the giraffe you will become something more, you become bigger, um, brighter, and um, your heart will open and expand. So I think that's the first thing to recognize. Although we have an image of the Buddha, we don't really know what the Buddha is. We don't know um, the Buddha. You cannot really fully explain your, to yourself what the Buddha is. The Buddha is a sort of an image of the Dharma. And what one really is opening oneself up to is the Dharma just by the way just as a slight digression if you ever um, do any teaching of the dharma and you may even experience this if you're just telling your friends about the dharma you sometimes find yourself saying things you've got no idea where they came from it's as though some sort of force goes through you and you 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 communicate something to another person which makes you shake it, you know, Dianne is not the only person that shakes when she hears the truth. It is a natural human response, actually, that when you hear the truth you get this sort of judder uh, going through you. And um, sometimes when you're teaching, and I would say that was one of the most wonderful experiences of teaching, is that you just get yourself out of the way. You don't, if you, if you put your ego too much into your teaching you get in the way of this sort of, as it were, transmission. It's as though Something's being transmitted through you like electricity, you're a conductor, and it's sort of coming through you and touching someone else, and it can be passed on through them. So, that's what you can open yourself up to. You can open yourself up to the Dharma. It's not just opening yourself up psychologically, it's much, much more than that. It's opening yourself up to something far greater be way beyond even your imagination you cannot even conceive of it but it's having a sense of it being there and this is what's called Shraddha this being moved this feeling in the heart that there is something there's some something I don't understand that I can I can plug into I can open up to and uh, allowing it to happen it can be a bit frightening because when you hear the truth you get a judder and you think wow what was that and uh, it's sort of a bit outside of of your ken, as they say. It's a bit outside of your experience, how you look at things. It's something new, it's of a different dimension. And that can be a little bit um, like the safety nets have gone. You know, it's like, as long as everything's sort of three-dimensional, four-dimensional with time, and it's all rational, and you know where everything is, it's all all right. But when things start happening that are sort of a bit outside of all that, it gets a bit freaky. But it's alright, because life is basically freaky, and um, nothing's really very solid, everything's moving, changing, all the time. So Shraddha is this um, movement of the heart, of opening up, is is a form of spiritual receptivity and if you if you develop this faculty which it is a faculty it's one of the five spiritual faculties of the buddha's teaching if you allow yourself to open up and allow shraddha to grow in your heart then it will begin to blossom into wisdom into prajna so shraddha and prajna are pretty much of the same um, of the same thing as it were but a different sort of ends, so to speak. So you you can sort of have um, a greater knowledge of uh, of what's happening and what's going on. But I wouldn't necessarily say that that knowledge is a sort of rational knowledge. You can understand things like beauty. Do you all understand beauty? You do until you ask yourself, what is beauty? if I was to show you something that you found beautiful, you would say yes I understand beauty, I experience." well you'd say you experience beauty, you don't necessarily understand it rationally, but you know what it is you know when there's something beautiful that's happened to you so in a sense you can know things but to try to really explain what beauty is, is sort of a bit beyond us, it's not something that we can really we can write essays and i'm sure people have written well they have libraries on the subject so lastly how do you become more receptive well it's a basically it's a form of opening opening yourself up it goes along with integration and um, skillful intention or positive emotion it's a way of just being where you're you feel more whole um, more motivated to be more positive and in, in what I mean by positive being more outward going and kind and generous both to yourself and to others and um, you're, you're opening yourself up um, you're preparing yourself through integration and, um, and um, positive emotion to allow something to, to move you more and more but if the integration isn't there it's more difficult Sometimes, though, at moments, when you're least expecting it, it sort of flashes through. Something happens to you, and you get that sort of judder, and uh, your life changes sometimes as a consequence. So, you can think of opening your heart. So that sounds good, opening your heart, all right. Just sit there and open my heart. And Well, how do you do that? It's not that easy, actually. Um, But there are certain things that you definitely can do. So um, one of the things um, that will allow us to open our hearts is ethics. If you continually act in a way that is unkind, um, greedy, um, manipulative, um, constantly looking for distractions and things, what you'll experience is tightness you will experience your life being tight. If you, op- if, you ex- if you act and think and talk with a sense of generosity, of kindness, honesty, calmness and so on, you will start experiencing openness, expansion of your being. And that's why our precepts are so important. They're a way of helping us, of training us to be more open, to be more expansive, and that's why the practice of dana is so important. It's not just to keep the building going, it's fundamental to the practice of a Buddhist. You cannot be a Buddhist if you're holding on to things. You know, we should be practicing giving away as many things as possible, because it will open us. And The problem is, there's this funny thing in life, like the more you give, the more you seem to get back. if you start giving lots and lots of money away, what you normally experience is people start giving you things and then you get more things you have to keep giving them away (laughs) and uh, anyway it's a wonderful thing to do Um, but acting out of kindness when you can, when you have that moment you think oh I ought to tell someone how well they did on it and you miss that opportunity you've missed that moment of being generous, being kind to people but you need to start with yourself you really need to start with being kind to yourself, taking yourself seriously, sending the jackal away. Sometimes a jackal is a good thing, but most of the time it's just a nuisance. And you need to open up to, you know, caring about yourself, taking yourself seriously, and just recognizing you are fantastic. You are the most fantastic being. We well, can't all be the most fantastic being, <laughs> but you are one of the most fantastic. Group of beings, there is you know a high pinnacle of an evolutionary scale. If you're a scientist, <laughs> you know you, you know you think, oh, well, I'm just useless. But well, actually, you are the, the 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 pinnacle of evolution. And then there's um, um, going doing things like going on pilgrimage, going to perhaps India, being around people that are very very devotional, seeing where the Buddha. Um, is as though you sit there, near the tree where the Buddha gained enlightenment and you just sort of long for the Buddha to appear. You imagine the Buddha um, to appear. You can um, do mantra recitation. You can recite a mantra, a mantra of the Buddha. Everyone can do that, you don't need to be given one. You can just recite the the mantra of the Buddha, Shakyamuni. um, Or uh, any other Bodhisattva if you feel moved to. Um, In a sense, all the the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are manifestations of the Buddha. So wherever you start, you always come back to the Buddha in the end. And if people sometimes think they haven't got a connection with the Buddha, but they've got a connection with Avalokiteshvara Kateshvara somewhere, then you've got a connection with the Buddha. So um, you can go to places where the Buddha was. You can um, go on pilgrimage. You can also um, make sure that you do a daily devotional practice. So meditation's not enough. You need to be devotional in your practice. Practice has to have an element of devotion. Devotion is the thing that ho- opens the heart. It's the, the puja is what makes you into a bodhisattva. The sevenfold puja allows the bodhicitta to arise. Better stop soon. Um, and um, lastly, just meditation. Um, well, we've heard quite a bit about this thing of stopping, but um, I like to think of stopping as waiting, of just waiting. You know, you, you don't know what you're doing when you s- just sit, do you? you? You know, someone says, well, just sit with your experience, and you think, okay. But uh, to me, it makes more sense just to wait. <coughs> it's like you're not sure what you're waiting for, but you're waiting. You're just waiting. You have this attitude, I'm just waiting. It's as though if you wait long enough, what you're waiting for will appear. And um, this certainly has been my experience, and very often at times of crisis in your life the Dharma seems to appear. Throughout my life, there haven't been many times, but there have been moments when I've had a sort of spiritual crisis, and a voice has spoken to me, it's like really weird thing, you know, it wasn't me, but it's sort of definitely a voice, or a dream, that someone would tell me something in a dream that I could follow, and I thought, wow, It it was a sort of an opening, and uh, a transformation took place. So meditation, in the form of just sitting, or just waiting, is really just waiting, just being there with your heart open. And you can even have a sense of longing, longing to see the Buddha. There's a sutra called the Sutra of Golden Light, the um, Bhashottama Puja, and um, in it, the, there's a there's a um, a text. I've got a translation here. It's not a particularly good translation because I had to get it offline, online. I mean, and um, but basically in this translation, the um, the disciple is constantly planting his knees on the ground, and it says, "In a sorrowful lust, a uh, thirst, I long for the conqueror." In a pitiful voice I sob for the leader. Deeply thirsty for the Sugata's sight I remain as I incessantly blaze with anxiety's fire. Bestow upon me the cooling water of your sight. There's a much better translation of that. I couldn't find it, it's a much simpler one. Um, But it's that longing, it's that longing to see the Buddha. It's as though some people think prayer, there's no room for prayer in um, Buddhism, but there is you can have that sense of praying to see the Buddha, longing to see the Buddha. And it's not like you, you know if you just sit, you don't sort of start reciting things because that's not just sitting, but it may happen spontaneously. But there is that sense of just opening yourself up and settling and going deeper and deeper into your experience and becoming more and more aware of the Dharma. And in, when you do that, it just will free you and lift you up. And it will be there in the the moments of spiritual death and spiritual rebirth. In fact, that's more or less what happens, is something sort of takes you over and you let go of something and then you become something more. So spiritual receptivity is a wonderful thing. And it's so wonderful just sitting, doing nothing. You know, when you get good at it, you actually really it's wonderful. I have been resisting it for years and I started doing it recently. And I think it just it's like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any effort. I mean, most of the time you've got thoughts going on through your mind, you've got a jackal yabbering on, you know, a radio transmitter of thoughts going through your mind. And if you just remember they're only thoughts you know, it's just the radio, and uh, you can't find the knob to turn it off, it doesn't matter, just listen to it, it fades into the background like most music does, and um, you just sit there, and you let go of these things, and you just be more and more deeply, and you then start getting the flavor of the practice of spiritual receptivity, so it's not just providing space, it's actually sort of making the most of that space, sitting there, letting go of things all the time, and just waiting for something new, to emerge, but not craving it, not sort of getting disappointed if it doesn't emerge because it may not emerge for 40 years. (laughs) I think I'll leave it there. (laughs) But actually, just one last thing, positive note, it emerges all the time. Okay.